Mom, can I please have another slice of cake? Mom, can I play this game again? I know you told me to stop, but I'm in the middle of a really hard level, please. I want that toy! Sound familiar? Then we're so glad you're joining us for today's episode while my children go to their rooms. <laughs> I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help support our ministry, a really great way you can do that is by purchasing Ginger's resources directly from her website instead of other online retailers. And stay tuned until the end of this episode to receive a discount code on your purchase at gingerhubbard.com. Thank you so much for your support. This enables us to further our mission to help parents reach the hearts of their children for the glory of God. Have you ever noticed that when you encounter news stories or even advertisements in our world, you have to give your kids a disclaimer like, well, kids, I know they're saying that all is hopeless, but here's what we believe. Wouldn't it be nice if you could point them to a news source that would actually encourage them to see how God is working in our world today? Well, it is nice because there is such a news source. It's called World Watch. This is an engaging professional news show produced by Christian journalists, and it's designed specifically for kids. In just 10 minutes a day, you and your kids can stay up to date on the current headlines without the hopelessness and hysteria of most other news sources. My favorite part is that every episode ends with this reminder, whatever the news, the purpose of the Lord will stand. To find out more about World Watch, just go to worldwatch.news slash ginger to access a free episode. Again, that's worldwatch.news slash ginger. Okay, Ginger, I have to tell you that even when my kids are pretending to beg and cry for things, it completely grates on my nerves. And so I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Some of the parents listening were probably like, oh, do we have to listen to this? My kids love it. So yes, you have to listen to it. Uh, but we've all been that mom whose little angel is just making a horrible scene in Target. And it's humiliating. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Target came up with that name because a big part of their marketing strategy is to target kids with all the cheap plastic gadgets and candy conveniently located at eye to eye level for anyone under three feet tall. That's true. Although they have the smart suites there now, which let me just plug the smart suites. I, my kids are obsessed with them. I love them. They have low sugar. If you see them at Target, go ahead and grab you a bag. Do you- so you're, you're standing at the checkout yes. line begging for them, yeah. Katie? Oh, but honestly though, I rarely go to the grocery store with my kids. I would, I used to, when ours were really little, I would go at 10 o'clock at night you know, just for the sake of my own sanity. Uh, There were many years where the grocery store was my weekly vacation with myself, just by (laughs) myself. I could say that. Yeah. Yeah. Little time alone, quiet. It was great. I loved going to the grocery store by myself. Uh, But anyway, Amanda in the great state of Georgia has this question for you, Ginger. I've always heard parenting advice say, don't tell your kids to stop crying when they want something because you want them to know it's okay to cry and you care about their feelings. Also, it might make them more uncomfortable and cause them to cry more. Okay, Katie. So um, I know you haven't gotten to our actual question yet, but let me just stop you right there if it's okay so that we can address this part and then we'll pick back up with our question. 
We know from Ecclesiastes chapter three that God is the giver of emotions and that there is a proper time to express them. There's a time to cry and a time to laugh and a time to do a number of things. Certainly, we want our children to understand that God created them with the ability to cry for a reason because there's a proper time to do it. We also know from Psalm 56, 8, that God cares so much about our tears that he keeps an account of every single one we shed. But And God saying that there is an acceptable time to cry, that means there's also an unacceptable time to cry. Mm. And these times of right and wrong are determined by context and motive. In other words, there's a difference between a child crying over a painful skin knee or the loss of a loved one or the joy of seeing grandma who lives far away and a child who's crying because he's not allowed to get the stuffed animal at the zoo. Mm. Obviously, one is rooted in selfishness and defiance, and the other is not. One is a natural response to sturdy emotions, whether happy or sad, and the other is a sinful reaction to a sinful heart. And it's the parent's responsibility to respond accordingly. Just as there's a time to cry and a time to not, there's a time for parents to comfort and console and a time to discipline and instruct. All right, Katie, read on. Oh, man, I don't want to. That's good stuff. I mean, we could camp out there for the rest of the episode, but okay, we need to finish Amanda's question. But I I want to put that in our list to go back and create an episode about that very thing. That was Mm. phenomenal. Okay, so she goes on to write, my seven-year-old son is crying for empathy or trying to get attention because he's not getting what he wants. Example, we recently went to the aquarium and I dread the gift shop at the end. I'm walking on eggshells around him, hoping he doesn't leave there in tears. We usually tell him ahead of time that we aren't buying anything and that sometimes helps. This time he brought his own money. The item he wanted was out of stock. It was closing time and he felt he had to leave there with something. Everybody can identify with this, I think. Mm -hmm. We could tell that the thing he chose, he wasn't that crazy about. So we told him not to get it to save his money for something he really wanted. He threw a fit, crying, saying he'd do anything to buy it. We told him no because we wanted him to learn to use his money wisely. The whining, crying, and begging was ridiculous. My husband told him to stop crying many times. I told him I can't take you back here if you keep doing this every time we leave. He kept trying to grab my arm and pull me back and asking, please. Then the crying turned into whimpering, like he was trying to get my attention to see if I'd cave. We did not cave, but we left this amazing family trip feeling completely upset because his outburst ruined it. How should we deal with his dramatic and emotionally charged crying? It happens often, and we feel useless at dealing with it properly. When it happens at home, we can walk away, gather our thoughts, and come back soon after to discuss it more patiently. But when it happens in public, it's harder to know how to handle it properly, and our anger gets the best of us. Hmm. Well, Amanda, first off, thank you for writing in such vivid detail. And Katie, you're acting. I mean, I'm telling you, that was good. (laughs) Thank you. I've always wanted to do voice acting. (laughs) You were there. She was there. (laughs) I've lived that many times. So yes. Well, that's exactly what I was about to say. I could picture the whole scene unfold because uh, I've seen it many times myself. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult situation to navigate, especially in the heat of the moment when you're out in public. Amanda, you mentioned that you feel like you're walking on eggshells and that you dread the aquarium gift shop. And I've heard other parents say that they dread taking their kids anywhere that might tempt them to beg for things. So my first word of encouragement is to be the parent. 
really, we shouldn't dread or fear our children begging and crying for things because those are precious opportunities to teach them self-control and contentment and the importance of obeying mom and dad. What we should fear more than misbehaving children are missed opportunities to teach them a healthy fear of God. Consistent correction and loving discipline are the means through which God uses parents to instill his valuable lessons and promises in regards to sowing and reaping. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Our goal is for our children to do what's right out of a love for God, not a fear of punishment. But with young children, a healthy fear of wrongdoing and consequences ushers in a healthy fear of God. I think that's what Elizabeth Elliot was getting at when she said, and I quote, a child who is not taught to fear wrongdoing when he is small will have difficulty learning to fear God when he is a man. Mm. We tend to shy away from this concept of teaching children to fear God. But let's not forget that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. So when I say be the parent, I'm encouraging moms and dads to step up to the plate and not dread or fear or shy away from the high calling God has placed in their lives to love and train and discipline and instruct the precious children that he's entrusted to their care. And along with the high calling of parenting, he graciously offers offers wisdom and guidance to walk in that calling. Second Peter 1 3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. That means we don't have to walk on eggshells. We don't have to be intimidated or afraid. We don't have to dread taking them to target. <laughs> We have his divine power that is working in us and through us as we seek to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. We've been given authority over our children for a reason. So we don't have to shy away from it by letting our children call the shots, shots that will lead them down a path of destruction. Proverbs 14, 12 says there is a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. How do we know that allowing our kids to call the shots will lead them down wrong paths? Because Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. According to this verse, discipline is part of God's plan to drive out the foolishness from the hearts of our children. It's part of God's plan to teach children the law of the harvest, that there are consequences for sinful choices. So we faithfully discipline our children and we encourage them to turn to Jesus for help and change for his glory and their good. Ginger, I do like how you pointed out that the motive for the crying is really the key to knowing how to handle it. We would never want to shut down a child who is crying out of grief, for example. But as you mentioned, the crying that Amanda described is very different. So what do you see are the deeper issues of the heart that are going on when children beg and cry for things? Because, I mean, they all do that at some point. Mm -hmm. The deeper issues are the same issues that were going on in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. God had graciously provided Adam and Eve with everything they needed, but they wanted the one thing that was forbidden. Mm. Their loving father clearly commanded that they not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he did that because he knew what was best. God knew that disobedience to his command would bring death to his children. But Satan used their father telling them no to make that thing all the more appealing, so much so that wanting it became more important to them than pleasing and obeying God. And it's the same with our children. We tell them no because we know what's best for them. 
but the desire for that forbidden thing overcomes them to the point that they'll do anything to get it, including, but not always limited to, begging and crying. Have you ever been at a total loss for how to explain to your kids some of the really hard things they've seen in our culture or in the news? Sometimes I resort to distraction, like, hey, who wants ice cream? (laughs) Because I'm just not sure how to rightly respond. This is why I'm so excited about a new podcast that is stepping in to meet that need. The podcast is called Concurrently, and each episode is full of practical help so that we can teach our kids how to develop news literacy and biblical discernment. To find out more, visit concurrentlypodcast.com, and you can listen to new episodes of Concurrently every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. When the desire for things becomes more important to our children than obeying God, it's time to talk to them about the sin of idolatry. Now, I know idolatry is a big word with a big meaning for a small child to understand, but if they're old enough to struggle with the sin of idolatry, they're old enough to start learning about the dangers of it. A simple way to explain idolatry to a child uh, might be to say something like, honey, idolatry is when a person or thing is loved more than God wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, or enjoyed more than God. The Apostle Paul talked about those who substituted the temporal for the eternal in Romans 1.25. He said, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. We know from 1 Timothy 6.17 that God delights in giving good gifts to his children. That verse says he richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, but... Those gifts for our enjoyment become idols when they're desired and enjoyed over God himself. A good indicator that things are becoming idols in the hearts of our children is when the absence of them or withholding of them ruins their trust and delight in the goodness of God. We know it's time to start having these discussions with our children when they want things so badly that they defiantly refuse to take no for an answer by begging and crying. When their behavior reflects a belief that temporal wants and desires will satisfy them more than God, our mission is to help them recognize the sin of idolatry in their hearts and their need for Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with our children enjoying temporal pleasures that God gives, but when they begin to see them as a right and start begging for or demanding them, that's when we know those pleasures have become idols. That's when there's evidence that temporal pleasures are becoming a substitute for finding rest and contentment in God. And that's when it's time to start helping them understand that real satisfaction is not found in things, but in the creator of all things. And Ginger, that is why we take the time, even when our kids are very young, to address issues like begging from a biblical perspective, because it's more about shepherding their hearts and pointing them to Jesus than just curing those really annoying behaviors. That's exactly right, Katie. And shepherding their hearts begins with looking beyond outward behavior. When children beg and cry for things, Their goal is to alter the parent's response, is to manipulate the parent into giving them what they want. So rather than giving in and catering to their demands, it's so much better for us to redirect their attention to what's going on in their hearts. Now, we've said this before, but it's not our place to judge the motives of the heart, but God does give us discernment. And if our discernment is telling us that our children are struggling with sin, we are wise to help them evaluate their own hearts. Proverbs 25 
says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. Exactly. And sometimes, Ginger, we also have to examine our hearts in order to help our children examine theirs. Uh, And one way to draw out the sin issues in the hearts of children that we talk about often on our show is by asking heart probing questions. That's right. And, and, you know, we've talked about this so much that sometimes I feel like it's beating a dead horse. You know, which now that I think about it, Katie, that's just another one of those awful sayings. (laughs) What kind of person beats a dead horse? And and I don't know why I keep using these morbid illustrations to make my point. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we've always given examples from the New Testament of Jesus asking heart probing questions. But I've been studying Genesis lately, and I can't believe that I've never noticed this before. But God asked the very first heart probing question in response to the very first sin in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve had sinned, that chapter gives the account of how they tried to hide from God because they were naked and ashamed and how God called out to Adam and probed his heart with questions. In verse 9, God asked, where are you? And when Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God asked, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to not eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then in verse 13, the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? All of these questions caused Adam and Eve to take ownership for the sin in their hearts, which led them to recognize their need for forgiveness and redemption, which led them to turn their hearts back toward God. All that to say, what an example, an awesome example God has set for us to ask those heart-probing questions. Something else that we like to encourage parents to do is to follow the example we're given in Ephesians, to put off the old self and put on the new self. My favorite heart-probing question that God asks is in the book of Jonah. And I don't think there's a prophet who was more childlike, and I mean that in a bad way, than Jonah was. He (laughs) disobeyed terribly and then whined and complained after God had graciously spared his life. But God was so patient with him. He didn't lecture. He didn't scold him. But twice in chapter four, God asks Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And -hmm. I think of it as saying like, how's that going for you, Jonah? Is that working real well? Uh, (laughs) I just love that. It's an excellent question to ask our kids and ourselves. Do we do well to be angry? Mm -hmm. Ginger, before we have you land the plane, so to speak, I want to point out one thing that Amanda shared in her question that actually made me think of my own seven-year-old and a conversation I had with my husband just the other day. Because like you, Amanda, my son seems to want to spend his money on something everywhere he goes. And like you, Amanda, I don't allow him to do that because it just seems foolish to me. But my husband said this, um, he, he said, I think we should let him do it. You know, spend his money when and how he wants to spend it. It's his money within reason. Of course, we're not going to let him buy beer and fireworks with it. But um, <laughs> if, if he has these three categories of spending, which we've helped them set that up, they've got their savings, their giving, and their spending— but we don't let him use the spending for what he wants, that's just frustrating. And it doesn't really teach him to practice patience and wise spending on his own. But if I let him blow his entire stash of spending money on dollar store toys, he's going to learn really quickly just how foolish some purchases can be. And that's the point. Not for us to be weed whacker parents to prevent them from making foolish financial decisions, but to let them learn 
within boundaries what it feels like when they do, because they're going to make foolish decisions when it comes mm-hmm. to their money. Some lessons have to be learned through trial and error. And I think money is one of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Ginger, but back to begging. I noticed, Ginger, that you have all these practical steps for addressing begging laid out beautifully for parents in your wise words for mom's chart. But instead of listing it under begging, you list it as coveting and discontentment, which is great. And this suggested questions there and scripture references are applicable for begging. So I know our listeners always appreciate having a handy script, as many of you call it, especially when you're in the heat of the moment, like in the middle of this situation that Amanda describes. Um, And of course, we'll put links to all the verses about idolatry we've mentioned in today's episode. But Ginger, just can you quickly run through the information on your chart to show parents practical ways they can probe the hearts of their begging children and teach them what the Bible says they are to put off and what they're to put on? Sure. One of the questions I have listed that parents might ask their children is, do you believe God has provided you with everything you need? You might even encourage them to list a couple of things that God has faithfully provided for them. Another question is, what do you truly need that you do not have? This helps them to focus on the fact that God has provided them with everything they need. For what to put off, I've listed discontentment and a few scripture verses such as 1 John 2.15 and Haggai 1.6, which talk about not loving the things of this world and how they don't bring lasting satisfaction. And then for what to put on, I've listed contentment and a few verses such as Hebrews 13.5 and 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, which talk about how being content with what we have enables us to enjoy what God has given us. And as we help our children, we also need to keep a check on our own hearts because the reality of it is that we're all sinners with restless souls in search of satisfaction. But nothing can satisfy us more than God, which is why we are warned in 1 John 5, 21, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Mm. The good news about children begging and crying is that it provides a valuable opportunity to show them their need for the grace of God that delivers us all from the deep-rooted sin of idolatry. And Ginger, one suggestion I have for parents, and we say this often, that we don't always want to address this in the heat of the moment when they are pitching a fit in the middle of the gift shop at the aquarium. Mm -hmm. Um, I have found that when I go with my kids through their rooms and we're cleaning and purging as we do every so often, that's a really good opportunity to talk about those things they've been given that in that moment were so important and they loved so much, but they haven't touched in six months. And just talk about, you know, these things are temporary and our affection for them, our excitement about them is so fleeting. But, you know, just finding those opportunities helps when you're in the moment and they want to buy something. You can say, hey, remember that thing that we just threw away this week and you thought it was just as great as this toy that you want to pick up that's identical to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just bringing them back to remembering what it feels like to no longer love something you thought you'd love forever. Mm-hmm. And even sharing the moments with our kids that we've done that. Right. Something that we thought we had to have. And then we realized that it didn't bring the satisfaction or a lasting satisfaction that we hoped that it would, because nothing is going to bring lasting satisfaction except Jesus. Yeah. Like our travel trailer. We thought we'd love it forever. <laughs> and we loved it. Less than a year. Less than a year. By the way, if anybody's looking for a travel trailer, hit me up. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) this is not a sales pitch. (laughs) Well, it worked in there, Katie. That's fine. Hey, you may sell it as a result of saying that on the show. I may cut that out. (laughs) No, leave it. Leave it. You guys need a tractor trailer? Tractor trailer. No, what is it? Travel trailer. Oh, not a tractor. A travel (laughs) trailer. We're going cross country in our tractor trailer. (laughs) 
Honestly, that probably would have been a wiser purchase for us than the travel trailer was. Okay, here we go. Now is the part of our show where we share a funny kid quip from one of our listeners. Today's kid quip is courtesy of Jessa in Michigan. And here's what she says. I love listening to your show. It always refreshes me and gives me a new perspective. Usually I listen when I'm alone, folding laundry or driving in the car. One time when I was driving with my kids in the back seat, my six-year-old daughter heard you talk about teaching your children to obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. She got really excited and exclaimed, that's what you say. She decided that she likes your show and will frequently suggest that we listen to Gingerbread Hubbard. The name, (laughs) (laughs) that name stuck and that's now what we call your show. Thanks so much for all you do to help equip us to train our children in the word of God. To God be the glory. Well, we have a new nickname for you, Ginger. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Gingerbread Hubbard. If you have a kid quip for our show, we would love to hear from you. It can be any funny thing your child or grandchild has said, or it can even be something funny you said as a child. Just go to gingerhubber.com slash kidquips. That's Q-U-I-P-S to submit those. Well, Ginger, this has been a great conversation about how to address children begging and crying for things from a heart-oriented biblical perspective and how to talk about the sin of idolatry in an age-appropriate way, which is not easy to do. Um, So as we come to the end of our time here today, how about offering our listeners a final word of encouragement? God created his children to find their greatest joy and their greatest satisfaction in seeking him as their greatest treasure. Our children are never too young for us to point them to Jesus, who has truly provided them with everything they need. So let's take every opportunity we can to speak his wonderful truths into their lives. Thank you so much, Ginger, and thank you listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And while you're there, can you leave us a rating or a review? This is a huge help to get the word out about our podcast so that other parents can be encouraged to reach the hearts of their children. You can find our show notes, which will include links to anything we mentioned in today's episode at gingerhubbard.com. And while you're on gingerhubbard.com, you can also find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering Ginger's best-selling parenting book, Don't Make Me Count to Three, A Mom's Look at Heart-Oriented Discipline, as well as the six-week study guide at a 10% discount when you use the code parenting at gingerhubbard.com. If you'd like daily encouragement and parenting advice from Ginger, be sure to follow her on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. And you can connect with me on Instagram at Katie in a corner. That's K-A-T-Y in a corner. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God. I want that. To- oh, that's probably bad. I want that. Oh. Yeah, you don't have to yell. Just be like, I want that. I want a toy. Oh, they can't just, understand. Just I want. I want that toy.